You are now listening to Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Fregera. It's a podcast designed to bring awareness on intended or unintended crimes against humanity, how we can rise above it, claim our divine inheritance, and return the soul power to the people. Welcome, 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 uh, T. Rose. Welcome to Soul Power to the People podcast. Today, our topic is the crime of addiction, alcohol addiction, substance abuse, and how is that a plague to humanity? So my questions to our guest expert, to Rose, would be around alcohol and substance abuse following trauma uh, as a way to cope to stress or boost someone's confidence? Um, how does this affect the generations? You know, it's it's a dysfunctionality that gets passed on from one generation to the next. And then wherein lies the crime? I will share a little bit about my experience uh, as a child of an alcoholic. The day I graduated uh, from high school with honors, was the day my father broke his sobriety. He got us all in a restaurant to celebrate and then he drank again and never stopped from then on. So it made me wish I didn't graduate with honors. And when he died at a very early age due to complications uh, to alcohol abuse, I thought, wow, You know, this was just a child thinking to herself, you must not love me enough to take care of yourself, to live a long life. Then recently I found out from a relative, my my father passed away a while back, right? I was in my 20s. Um, And I found out from a relative that my father, when he was young, not even 10, actually witnessed his own father's death. My grandpa was beheaded during the Japanese Inquisition in the Philippines, right in front of my father. And I thought this was very recent, like a couple of months ago that I found out this piece of information. And so I thought, wow, no wonder you had to drink yourself numb. And they say uh, addiction is not in itself a crime unless they use drugs, which is illegal, or they uh do criminal behavior uh stealing robbing killing right murder but let's go deeper into that vicious cycle of alcohol and substance abuse what are the hidden crimes um like i said it goes on and on within the family and passed through generations what about the crimes to the children and so these are my questions to T. Rose, best-selling author of several books, Shedding Light on Addiction. T. Rose, welcome to Soul Power to the People podcast. Thank you so much for that um, beautiful sharing of your own um, pain. You know, it's so hard for people uh, caught in the cycle, whether they actually use or not, to share that pain. And in holding 
that pain, it, it destroys the, the soul of the person in so many facets. And uh, I am very sorry for your loss at such an early age. And, you know, the traumas that we witness as children are just so detrimental to the emotional growth that should be. And sadly, as each generation of generational dysfunction perpetuates the childhood of most kids never gets to be just a child right yeah. i mean they are they are just plunged into um having to be baby adults right i mean i was 7 years old having to take care of my brother and myself get up get him up give us breakfast make our lunches get us to the bus stop right uh, so, you know, kids don't get to be kids anymore. And mm -hmm. it's just, it is a crime against humanity because, you know, the developmental growth cycle is just destroyed, taken away from, from the child. And as they mature, they're still trying to figure out, well, what did I do wrong? As you said, how come I wasn't loved enough, you know, and, and I see that those same markers in my own children, though I was spared the, the ugliness that really statistically should have imbued on them both and didn't. So for that, I'm blessed, but other markers remain and it's hard to break through that depression or those feelings of being unwanted. And it, and it takes a lot of work. And it has, it takes a lot of willingness to do that work. So you said that at seven, you were given the responsibility to take care of your brother. And uh, when did you start drinking? At 12. My father was a violent alcoholic. And um, if he wasn't beating on my mom, he was beating on us. Um, most likely because he probably had no self-esteem of his own, which is uh, another marker of uh, an addictive personality, whether, again, you use or not. Um, mm -hmm. That low self-esteem, um, self-doubt, you know, all those things are, are part of the, the personality traits that pass on from generation to generation because here I had my father trashing my mom all the time and if he wasn't doing that he was trashing us emotionally physically and and what else is a child to think but I'm no good mm -hmm. and from there um it, it's hard to overcome and you know so we at quest for recovery we work at our program is 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 truly focused mostly on the late teen years to try to break that self-doubt and self-destruction that's already in motion in most cases. The background you have there, Quest, a recovery network, that is your nonprofit or is that your book? Quest for Recovery Network is the nonprofit. The Quest Learning Series is also utilizes the, the Quest uh, Compass and uh, symbol. So they're kind of hand in hand that uh, I created it that way. My original company, which is T Rose or Tiffy Rose LLC is my publishing company. 
And we just newly added uh, the media services to be able to create video or audio content to be able to upload for learning purposes to our platform. Okay. So tell me the story behind you creating this nonprofit and writing several books on shedding light on alcohol and addiction. Tell us your story. Well, I started out as a very introverted child and I tried to force myself to become part of something, right? I played softball when I was young. I was an avid swimmer, was very good in school. I went to school after graduating high school for electronics. I was the only girl in the class and graduated the top of the class. And of course that brought much angst or hatred against me from you know the men and boys or whatever. But as a child that grew up in such a violent background, it, it was, you know, my childhood was filled with trauma, anxiety, and pain, of which led to years of self-medicating, which began with drinking at 12 years old because I lived in fear of telling anyone about my life. I grew up in a family of violent alcoholics, and these were the role models I had in front of me during my most developmental years of learning. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? We would all gather for some family event, you know, just a pretense for barbecues and alcohols. And, you know, when, when we were young, we would get small sips of alcohol or beer, right? But these sips would increase as we got older. And then we began stealing, you know, me and my cousins, liquor from the liquor cabinet and, you know, go hang out at the pond drinking because, well, our parents were doing it. So, you know, I guess that that's what we were supposed to do because we didn't know any better. And, you know, the generational dysfunction is how I wrote about it in my first book. I don't know. It, it, it's sad to, to realize or remember, you know, the pain. And, and it isn't to just put it on, okay, well, you were beaten as a kid. You were physically, emotionally abused. I was sexually abused as well, which added to additional trauma for a, a child. I mean, I was... I was very young. And so what do you do with all that pain and anger? You either suppress it or you react violently out into the world with it. So alcohol at 12 years old became my numbing tool. Uh, I went to work at 14. And so, you know, I had money then to fuel my alcoholism. And, you know, back in in, in the early 80s, it was easy to go into the liquor store and bat your eyes and say, well, come on, Mr. Liquor Store Man, you know, let me buy some alcohol. And, and it was all a downhill slide from there, even with all the accomplishments of going to school and graduating and, you know, being a functional addict is, is something most people don't realize is very prevalent. And people don't believe they're addicts or alcoholics because they can go to work each day. They can take care of their families, so to speak, by putting food on the table and clothes on their children's backs. And, you know, it's not until that escalates to walking away from your family and, and, and for many people to, to pursue their career in addiction. I did. Mm -hmm. I spent 10 years on the street. I hadn't walked away from it all. I couldn't handle it all. I just blew my mind. And, 
and it uh, escalated into some some other very ugly, violent things that happened in my life. Ten years in the street. That did that mean you lost your job, or you just I lost everything. I oh, was okay. high twenty four seven, and it was sad. You know, I when I walked back into life, so to speak, after all those years in uh, addiction. No, I, I had a lot to overcome, um, not to mention a criminal history to beat back. So to, wow. to be here today, to be doing all of this, to, to give back to my biggest purpose of the big trap was to write about that part of my life and to try and bring awareness to children to not follow this path that it leads to nowhere. To, you know, if I had, when, when I was 16, the one opportunity I had to, uh, to, to talk to a therapist, to engage in that trauma, I didn't. And when I finally found recovery at 40, I had to go all the way back over here and deal with that trauma. Right. So, okay. So let me see if I'm following. So you, you spent 10 years in the streets. What was your turning point? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? Um, did you reach a point of suicide? I don't know. Um, tell, tell, tell me more about your I, turning point. Well, you know, because I had not dealt with any of my traumas throughout my, my life. And then all that I went through on the street, there was no amount of alcohol and drugs that I could consume to beat that back anymore. And mm. I was having seizures uh, almost daily, flatlined three different times. I mean, it's, it's a miracle that I'm sitting here today even speaking with you or having the, the mental capacity, I mean, by all accounts, my brain should have been fried years and years ago. And, you know, those cocaine-fueled uh, um, days and nights and nights and days and days and nights for years on end, it's, the, the turning point was, was that. I realized that my best effort to basically numb everything wasn't working <laughs> it wasn't working right even the point of even I mean there had to have been some subconscious back there that says you know you just need to die and get this over with well that was obviously not working either and I, I'm today I guess my higher power the, the the principles at bay they decided that you know I was more work I had to do and so this is what I did when I finally bought my house um in 2014 and I guess I had kind of figured I had championed everything that I meant to you know rebuild you know to finally be there for my children because I walked out of their lives in the world when they were just babies you know so coming back into their lives when they were in their early teens and then trying to help them internalize not to follow in that same path and the sad part was their father picked up where we had left off when I had left him 
because he was um, on his second DUI, he couldn't drink anymore for five years. And so when I came back into the world, so to speak, he checked back out and he was dead at 51 from his alcoholism and drug addiction. You know, so the, my kids just got me back in their lives to then witness their father's decline in, I would guess, maybe five years or less. Gosh, I don't know. I can't think of the, the, the but mm -hmm. right. To, so that they had to then witness that trauma of loss all over again. You know, so part of what I did when I finally got this house, you know, I sat down with them and I said, you know, I want to do something good with all this pain that that was caused to me. I, I you know, if you want to use the word cause, um, affected, was just the reality. And so how could I make changes to um, to that reality for others to avoid it? to heal from it, to know that there is a way to heal from it. You know, to keep suppressing it is just so counterproductive. And, and I know so many people are like, oh, that's easy to say, you know, easier said than done. And it is in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so as I was telling somebody this morning, I was mentoring, I'm really sorry for your loss, you know, and you can either stay trapped in that you can let it heal and you can move on, right? I mean, the, the, best, the best way to, I feel, move on is to recognize it, to, to acknowledge it, to know that there's not a darn thing that we can do to change even what happened five minutes ago mm -hmm. and look forward and only look back to see the progress you've made. Mm -hmm. So did you check yourself into a rehab? Um, were there nonprofits that helped you or government agencies? Did you get therapy? How, how did you get out of that bottom well, of the bottom of the bottom? Of the and, this bottom? Is, and this is part of um, the work that I am doing, right? Is mm -hmm. between the cycle of, of jail, recovery, relapse, and using again to cycle that through over that 10 years time, I was in and out of quite a few jails and rehabs. And the thing that I saw most, which is another reason why I've done this is, and I mean, there really is a lot of disconnect even within the therapeutic community because I, you know, they just see the same people such as myself over and over and over again. And so they lose faith in themselves as counselors. So for me, yes, I went through quite a few rehabs. And it was only when I finally just decided that the little bits that I picked up along the way, I was going to utilize what helped me. And I had to leave the rest because for the most part, most of it was unhelpful. And that's not to say that it probably wasn't a good thing that I had that break in my my cycle of of what I was going through but it just it wasn't enough it was it was the seizures and the and 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 dying almost back to back over that last year multiple times that made the 
the choice for itself, I guess. Yeah, that that's a powerful force, right? Once <laughs> once it comes through to us, it's a powerful force. It is. I mean, I woke up in a in a like two miles from where I last remember falling out from the last seizure I had. I mean, how I got from where I was to four miles up the road in this empty lot covered in sand as the sun was coming up. I was like, okay, well, that is really weird because I know I was over there, you know, and so you, I, 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 today, I don't even know. I mean, I've asked many people who were there. I, I've utilized of those, the, their stories, not just about how to fill in some of the gaps for myself, but their own dynamics and stories to help fill in, well, what was it that you didn't get when you were in rehab? Mm -hmm. And what were some of the things that, that you would like to have seen that could have helped? Right, right. It's, you spoke about markers earlier. Can we go back to that? What are the markers? What is the marker that you talk about? And are there several of them? Well, there definitely, share? yes, there's definitely um, multiples of them. Um, you know, to go all the way back to childhood, I mean, you see the markers in such as an abused child of a, a, a violent alcoholic such as myself, right? So you see dad's truck pull up in the driveway and you're already, your heart's pounding. You're looking for the best place you're gonna, you're gonna run to hide if he comes through the door and he's already pissed off about something, right? Just to stay out of his way, go hide in my bedroom on the other side of the bed against the wall and be freaking dead silent. Um, that's, an, that's an emotional trauma that a lot of, a lot of, of, of children deal with. You know, <clears throat> The, 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 that kind of trauma, um, or even again, myself as a child, I ate all the time for, for the longest time I, I was fat and, and, and chunky, right? Which was part of the reason why I thought, well, maybe if I joined swimming, it would help even some of this out and give me some strength. Um, but the trauma markers are probably the biggest thing, you know, Today, our children, our youth, are growing addiction markers by these video games that they constantly play, constantly mm. play, right? Because it changes the serotonin. They're, they're playing, they're playing, they're playing. These are all chemicals that are going off in their brains, no different than the chemical reaction of using drugs or, or drinking alcohol. Um, mm. You know the the shame and the guilt of the bruises that I had when I was a child you know those are other markers I mean these are things that I mean I'm sure that somewhere within the psychiatric community they understand these markers the biggest problem is how do you get that child or even the adult to talk about it you know um you could, you might have be in a group therapy and you see somebody talking about it and you see somebody else just shaking their head, but they refuse to talk. Gosh, markers, they're, they're, 
the list is long. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even know where to start and stop. Um, you know, um, flinching just at the sound of of trying to eat your dinner and you you spill a crumb on the table. Mm -hmm. What did you do? Look at the mess you're making. I mean, yeah, is, those are the things that shape up um, an individual's concept of themselves. It, it does. You know, those developmental years are are so important. And when the parent themselves is a, a functional alcoholic or addict, right? Because mm -hmm. at the time when when we were young, they didn't understand these things. They just thought it was normal because, well, their parents kind of were too. But as drugs became more of the norm than just mom drinking from the bottle of wine all day long, um why why has that i'm curious about that why has alcohol and drugs become the norm because of the if, generational dysfunction of of the pain built upon pain over the years and it has become normalized it, it it's no longer looked at as bad I guess is the best way I can describe that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's been profited from also. It has. It, it definitely has. And, you know, my only thing that I could guess is the drugs themselves, or whatever, which one, <clears throat> excuse me, someone may care to use probably last longer than doing a couple of shots. Um, you know, um, so people began, the parents began drug seeking and using instead of parenting. Mm -hmm. And and so the family dynamic grew from the, 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 the 1950s and early 60s when, you know, you looked forward to mom and dad coming home and the white picket fence and we all sit down to dinner and talked about the day at school and, and you know, mom and dad pat you on the back and told you how great you were. Those values and those morals and, and that, that, that role modeling has just faded and faded. And so today, in a lot of ways, the, 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 the role modeling that children witness is their parents using maybe to a small degree, maybe to a large degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and plus the, the unit of the family has really been, you know, a lot of single parents. So there's even less role model. <laughs> and that's true, you know, even then, right? When we coming into the 70s and the, and the, the, the stay-at-home mom ended up having to go to work because you know, mm -hmm. the, the cost of living was increasing, but the, the, the value of the dollar was decreasing. So it had to be both parents worked. Well then, <laughs> right? The children left to their own devices. Well, that just started us down the wrong, the, 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 the wrong path. And, um, and then, and then yes, the single parent, right? The, 
the 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 dad or the mom that went off and left the kids to the other parent now that parent has to work two jobs maybe and is never home and and left the children are left either on their own or with some babysitter and you know there was a lot of problems with it with that too in in some yeah. cases so so how do we can we break it down how do we help the spouse of an alcoholic or the partner then how do we help the children i know growing up i uh, both you know were unavailable emotionally we were i was raised in a god-loving god-fearing family but then when you look really deeper is it really god-loving family you know like your story you're hiding you're you're just expecting to be beaten almost you know there's so many uh, children like yourself who were put on Prozac or something and those things don't work they would numb to a certain degree but I think it uh, at some point we have to face our demons mm. so how do you help the children if there's something not working with the therapy or with the system that's out there um I know we're overdrugging our children. I know that um, some cases they're being put to psychiatric care because they've been abused and they're, no one's listening to them. It's not going to be a simple, it's going to take time because it's going to have to be just as it was generally generationally destroyed. It's going to mm -hmm. take generations to repair. Wow. which okay. is why I'm trying to start with the teenagers. I mean, to bring that awareness to them, to, to see that they can either follow in the footsteps of the pain and agony that they watch their, their parents go through and to know that they have that to look forward to, or they have, as I told my, my grandson, couple years ago you know this is temporary this trap you are in with because his parents my daughter and and her ex his dad are both children of addict and alcoholics though the markers in them to be that the personality traits of 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 dysfunction are there even though they truly didn't go down the horrific paths i myself did um and my my ex-husband but they're not there emotionally for their kids so it falls onto then they're them and i told my grandson i'm like this is temporary you need to get all you can out of school you need to utilize any voice that will listen to you and talk about your pain. Just, I mean, just acknowledging it in many mm -hmm. cases will expel it, will um, um, relieve some of the built up angst about it. I mean, it's like- Yeah, the shame, the shame. Because you're not allowed to, to tell the outside world no 
you're and not, if you and tell you... the outside world, you're going to get beaten more, right? There's just that don't tell in the alcohol environment, isn't it? it yes. And even more so in, yes, both alcohol and addiction. And, uh -huh. you know, they really did a disservice to the children back as far as me when they, I mean, when I was in school, when they took counselors, guidance counselors out of the school system, because, oh, it's just costing the school system too much. And was the one place that kids almost had a way or the chance to talk to somebody, to get some kind of coping skill ability to, mm -hmm. to move forward. And, you know, so today, you know, with what I told my grandson a couple of years ago, I'm like, you cannot allow all that trauma and pain and anger and yelling and screaming to disrupt your schooling. You've got to do well in school. And by giving him that something to focus on, he has really blossomed into, uh, you know, a, a, a pretty good kid. And I'm very proud of him. Um, now, sometimes like my brother, who is also an addict and alcoholic, his son took all his anger because he was an angry child. Again, markers, angry, 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 violent, angry. Watched his father do it. He became that. And he still suppresses it, but he took all that anger and got himself an engineering degree. Now, mm -hmm. hopefully he'll work through the emotional stuff before he goes and tries to be a father. I mean, but again, the, 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 the list of markers is vast. I mean, you know, children that are abused hold tight to that abuser because if they tell somebody, like you said, they're going to be abused even worse. Mm -hmm. it's a it's sad, we're it's not a accepted in society or, or it's like revealing what's fundamentally wrong with you. It's like, you, you don't want to be treated like that, like a plague right, right? And or something broken or damaged absolutely you know one in three children and 50 percent of all adults will have um will suffer from some kind of mental health issue in their lifetime and i bet those numbers have grown since that last time that statistic was even put out there mm -hmm. and and especially with the last two years of lockdown ugh has made it worse because you know the kids were 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 forced to live on underneath that tyranny even more so mm -hmm. because the parents couldn't go to work right so i mean they and, and what did they, they do with with the liquor stores they kept open and the kids didn't have that that eight hours a day to get away from that mm -hmm. to have a little interaction with anybody it is trauma. And now we've added this war and all the other violence that's going on in the world. It's just, it's, 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 it makes my heart cry. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, you know, how this podcast started was because of all that, like, guys, don't you know, <laughs> what is the effect of this to our children and the children of our children? It's creating trauma massively and 
I mean, I, I'm sure in the in the within the medical realm, they they probably realize the 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 markers in the DNA even of generational dysfunction and and what the the drugs and alcohol at time of conception brings upon that new being that's just been created. I mean, who knows what what really what should have been just normal, you know, procreation of a new being now has all these other toxins in its bloodstream from the time of its existence. And you have to wonder if it is a big part of the learning disabilities and other physical disabilities that children are being born with. And, and you know, I see so many people, oh, I stopped using while I was pregnant. Okay, fine, but you're still missing the point because it's already in your child's bloodstream, mm -hmm. right? They were mm -hmm. already born, they were already created with, with, with those toxins. And mm -hmm. so um, it's, a, it's a vast problem and only yes. by, 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 changing it, starting with the youth and, and building the next generations, are we going to be able to break the cycle? I mean, yes, right. you want their parents to get better and the family dynamic to be whole again. A lot of cases it does. Some cases it never, ever will. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hopeful of is your story, like even at deathbed, and I hear this from a lot of people, even at deathbed, there's that spirit inside of you that rises up, that rises up and, and says, this is not my legacy. This is not my future. This is not my present. You know, there's there's just something that happens when pushed down to nothing and, and the soul, the spirit, the soul power, right? That's the mm -hmm. subject of our, our uh, conversation here is how do you return to soul power? I really believe that our soul knows exactly when to show up, you know, when we've learned all our lessons. But here's the thing, going back to um, tools that we can share with people listening, how effective, in your opinion, is Alcoholic Anonymous or Child of Alcoholic, all those? Um, well, let me tell you what SAMHSA, which is Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration stated in the end of the 1990s. They mm -hmm. knew then it doesn't help. It is a, a program. It's, it's all that they have sending people out of a 28-day turn and burn rehab program. You send mm -hmm. them to AA or NA and problem even SAMHSA recognizes is that they send these people there and they keep rehashing the whole rehashing war stories. that's the word I'm yes thank you rehashing the war stories instead of sharing the positive things that they're doing to grow and move forward yes yes it's locking in that disempowered identity it is because you know you because have people, the basis of their existence, right? Because people, you know, 
I'll, I'm an addict for life. I'll always be an addict. And, you know, I was like, well, that's kind of an effed up mindset. I mean, why would you want to carry that burden with you instead of growing past it and saying, I made a lot of effed up mistakes in my past. And I, I, I have grown from that. And I will help share that agony to keep anybody from going down that road. But that's not who I am today. Mm-hmm. And for me, and, and, you know, my friends calling me, call me Rose, though that is the, 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 the rebirthed new person that I want to move forward, not the dysfunctional child addict that was over there because that's not who I am anymore. Exactly. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was just something in me when I was, uh, you know, uh, researching about child of alcoholic. When when I was going through my coaching training, a lot of the people that I went to to that training with would suggest, well, why don't you go to a child of alcoholic? And it just didn't have that. I'm very intuitive, so it just doesn't have that pull. And then I went to a weight loss. Um, I, on, I only went once or twice, you know, say your name. And I am a, uh, what did they say? I'm a food addict or something like to that effect. I, I can't remember now. I'm like, with all the training that I've done on neurology, you know, on rewiring the mind, you want me to say what now? <laughs> Exactly. That's my point. Right? They <laughs> want these people. Hi, I'm Rose and I'm an alcoholic and an addict. And, and you know, I have 20 years of recovery, but I'm going to still mark myself as an alcoholic and addict. It's like, yeah. I think that is the very first thing that people need to do is shift their identity from broken, from damage, from alcoholic to I am fucking in control of my life now. I no longer identify with that. Yes, it's part of my past, but my past does not label or decide what I'm going to do in the future. Absolutely. It does not dictate who I am today. Correct. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, and that goes back. I'm so to- glad we are so aligned on that one because that is like. <laughs> right. Because how can you be a positive role model for somebody? right? Your children to, to, to start with, and then anybody else that you want to bring along into the conversation, how can you be a positive role for, model for them if you're saying, well, I'm just an alcoholic and an addict and always will be. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's like, no. that no. is not who I am and, uh, or who I want to, to no. No, mm-hmm. I am a powerful woman. You know, I bought my house on my 12 year sobriety anniversary. And, and um, I think that was the biggest step forward. That was when I knew, well, I really knew I had to do something when I watched my three-year-old granddaughter master angry birds on her mother's cell phone, three years old. I was like, oh man, this world's kind of effed up completely. We've got to do something about that. And I started writing my first book, which took me in a little over three years to, from conception to uh, print. 
Mm -hmm. And um, wow. yeah, yeah. So well, tell tell us more. Uh, what you can share? How can people return to that soul power? To to that force within you that says, "No, this is not what my life is going to be." Right, that force within you. You have to, you know, as someone who, because of my childhood, was an introvert my whole entire life. Very few friends. Lived being high and drunk twenty four seven for. 25 years and coming out of that at 40 even with all the education I had people's skills were kind of lacking and so it's a matter of just doing it right just empowering it it just uh, uh, um, internalizing that you want better for yourself and then going out there and achieving it now I went back to school at 40 some years old so I could regain some of my computer skills that as fast as electronics in, in the computer industry has changed, practically re replicates itself yearly, right? So, you know, uh, I was telling my, my group today, I'm like, go out there, own your, your new self, right? Engage in something, go plant a garden, build a birdhouse, do something, be proud of yourself that you built a freaking birdhouse. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing people lack the um the, the the wherewithal to be proud of themselves because they've been beaten down so bad by life but then we again when you've got a, a, a as i said even the samsa the, the 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 substance abuse gurus know that what they have to offer somebody after rehabbing isn't working and, you know, I, I've spent my time there, but you really have to internalize and want to go out there and, and be past that. And as you said, internalize that power, know that you're a good person, know that bad things happen to you, but that's not what your life going forward has to be. You, we had a choice. We had a choice all along. We chose bad, now we choose good. Mm -hmm. We chose uh, a depressed state of being. Today we chose an empowered state of being. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you would have told me even this time, two years ago, that I'd be sitting here talking to you on, on the internet for the whole world to see me, I'd be like, yeah, that is not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with me. <laughs> right. I mean, it was enough that I wrote my books, right? And and I did use a pen name because it's, I only planned on writing the first book. And it was like, man, you know, that's some pretty gory um stuff in there. And I don't know that I want the whole world and my kids and my family to, you know, to be subjected to, wow, and your mom was like really something. And and um, but you know, if you don't go out there and truly own your new self, you mm -hmm. never achieve it. Right, right. Yeah, I love I love that you wrote the book even with a pen name, because that releases all that shame and all that victimhood and, and allowing it to express and then you liberate your soul, right? And then what else did you say? 
Well, and you know, on top of that is, is that we're going to just say that character represents probably just about every single alcoholic or addict that's ever gone through that process because the, 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 the pathway of it is so similar to so many people. Mm -hmm. And I also want to add that even if um, I didn't engage in alcohol or I have an aversion to pills, to pharmaceutical drugs, but even if you don't, if you didn't choose, because we were talking about choice earlier, even if you didn't choose, even if you choose not to follow your parents' path, there's the emotional abuse, the trauma, the unresolved issues, the feeling unloved, unacknowledged, all the lies and distortions that you go through. Even if you were having a great career, you have to face that. So that's one thing, even though you're not a user, and this is the dysfunction that gets passed on and on and on, the, the thinking that there's something fundamentally wrong with you, that gets passed on no matter how much you achieve in life, you have to face that and choose to see where the distortions were and purify it, to cleanse it, to Absolute, correct it. Absolutely, because in many cases for um, that first 20, 25 years, you believed that it was all normal, right? My parents did it, my grandparents mm -hmm. did it. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess I'm supposed to do it too. But yeah. as you say, you didn't uh, partake, but the markers of the shame and the guilt- It was, it's still there, still yeah. embedded in you because it was already there in your parents. In the subconscious, yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything that we saw as children, everything. And then it creates that pattern of uh, self-abandonment and betrayal and abuse. So and that self the, the abuse that we observed, we also recreate in ourselves. So those are the things that I want people to watch for, just in even though you are not using. Right, and it causes self-loathing in, in, mm -hmm. in, in the most self-destructive ways. Even if you don't choose to use alcohol or drugs, a lot of people, have sex addictions, food addictions, gambling mm -hmm. addictions. Workaholism. <laughs> Workaholics. Yes. I mean, yeah. all of that. I mean, their addiction is again with the markers. You could put all kinds of things underneath what an addiction is, right? It's not just a substance. It's not just snorting coke or drinking, you know, a half gallon of gin a day. It, you know, it, it, it it can be all kinds of things it could so yes so today we have to 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 return the soul power to the people the people have to truly um internalize that they are better than the pain and the shame that they are trying to that they don't know how to get rid of or, or that they continue to carry because it's familiar mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's familiar and what is familiar is familiar. And what is 
me getting on this podcast two years ago would have been like, yeah, that's not happening, is breaking through those norms, so that comfort zone, and then realizing, I can do this. I mean, I can do this. You only yes, have to do yes. it once to realize I can do this. Mm-hmm. And you perfect it. I mean, everything in life is, is, is a learning experience, right? We only learn by failure, really. Correct. Correct. And once we, we really tune into that spirit in us that never, ever gives up on us, we can see the distortion, the lies, you know, the not good enough and the shame and all that. We can Absolutely. see the, the truth um, and the lies. So tell us, before I let you go, tell us about your nonprofit or your organization. Um, how can we support you? How, what's your mission? All that good stuff. Can you share well, more? Sure. I, you know, um, just briefly, I, um, my mission is to uh, help the children, right? Because if anybody's more vulnerable than it, than is our children, they are the most vulnerable of all, caught in this uh, addiction epidemic. And my nonprofit has been in place for a few years, and um, we are working to bring a train the trainer type program to um, help help the the person that has some recovery relate to the person that's still searching for answers because even SAMHSA and NIH both know and they've just six months ago acknowledged this we as ex people with some training have more uh, chance of helping that person that's over here looking for help than the professionals because they've never lived these experiences. So that's what our my foundation is mostly um, working on today is to bring this new platform um, to to the mental health and addiction medicine domain. You know there is hope on the horizon for a much needed change. And um, Quest is that answer. Um, my, my businesses are just there to um, backstop what the work that the nonprofit is going to ascertain going forward or, or uh, develop. You can always reach out to me at rose at Tiffy Rose, the numeric one, the word recovery.com. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I try to stay busy on all those sites, but you know, some days there's not a whole lot of energy in this old lady. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the nonprofit is uh, quest for recovery network.org. And um, if you'd like to donate to our, our organization, you know, we would $5 help is, is helping somebody get a, a set of books. So, um, there is a link there to be able to do that if you have the ability to help. I know these times are crazy and inflation's got everybody upside down, but uh, um, so, you know, it's just one day at a time and, and uh, we can do that all. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted some loving, huh? <laughs> 
So, you know, Tess, I had, before we leave though, I would like to say, I spent some time going through some of your other uh, podcast interviews and I think you have a great show. I think you're bringing awareness to a lot of different platforms and I congratulate you. And I wish you much you. success um, continuing your mission to help others uh, have some awareness of all these other things that are, are going on. Oh, thank you so much, D. Rose. Yeah, I, I really want to put out there that one, we really are amazing beings. And please don't let trauma, abuse, programming, indoctrination, even what they put on our food and in our soil, become aware of that and know that your spirit can rise above any and all crimes against humanity. I think this is the call uh, for us to really recognize that we are more than this physical body. We are more than our past. We are more than our behavior. And uh, to really identify with the pure being that you are, we are born pure. That is our birthright. And please don't let allow anyone to take that away from you. That is the message of this show. Thanks again. Thanks Thank again, you. Rose. Much love. You're amazing. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Vergara. We can no longer be the spectators of our own destruction. Take back your mind. Take back your voice. Take back your soul. Take back your power. Join me again next time for the next episode of Soul Power to the People.